Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Friday morning Buckeye talk. From Cleveland.com, Doug Lavery's Nathan Baird, Stephen Means talking receivers. That means Marvin Harrison Jr. And then Emeka Buka and Julian Fleming are hurt this spring, not taking part in team stuff, might do individual drills later in the spring, Nathan. But we're we don't have much to say about Emeka and Julian because we know who they are and there's nothing to add. So it's not a big conversation here about them. I will just say this is this gets old very quickly because we get translation software is weird. You are actually in the midst potentially of transitioning the translation software that we use to transcribe the things that we use. But the the one that we currently use, I was looking at something Brian Hartline was saying about a Mecca and Julian getting a Mecca and Julian back. And it was something it came up as, getting the Mexican police back. And I just thought that was kind of a funny thing of like a Mecca Julian Mexican police. And it's like, you stupid robot. Nobody's talking about the Mexican police, you stupid robot. We probably have to have an AI podcast at some point because all this stuff is happening. And I just read some headline that most Americans are more afraid of AI than encouraged by AI. So we're on the right side of history here. Take that, robots. But that's not today. Today as receivers... In the second part of the pod, we'll get into the bunch of the second-year receivers that we were able to speak to at length for the first time, really, since they got here. We did that on Thursday as well. So Kojo Antwi, uh, Caleb Brown, and Keon Grays, we'll talk about them. But we're going to start with Marvin Harrison Jr., Nathan. Again, Stephen and Nathan, you guys were at Marvis and Marvin. Mo- Tradition. 140? 140? Marvison? 140 it took into the pod? I'm just going to blanket apologize in advance for calling him. So did he seem different, Nathan? This guy is Marvin Harrison Jr. Is he just hanging out? He's just a guy? Or does he feel like maybe the best player in college football the way he's handling himself? Well, I... I don't feel like he he feels any different. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't feel like the best player in college football, though. I think what got him to be where he is is kind of the way that he acts, the way he approaches himself and approaches uh, everything. 
and uh, very businesslike still, very, uh, very humble guy, um, even despite the, the accolades and the attention that he's getting. And uh, that's only going to keep building. Um, but there are a lot of questions today, or not a lot, but some about just, I guess, how, how are you handling all of this stuff? And his answer to a lot of it is usually, well, a lot of that stuff goes to my family. I don't ever, there, there's buffers. Let's see, there's just two things here that I think have happened with him. And one is that when you are Marvin Harrison Jr., it's kind of easy not to smell yourself too much because, well, what have you done compared to Marvin Harrison Sr.? And Brian Hartland had a comment today, something like that, about like, I don't remember the exact quote, it was like, he still doesn't understand what the big deal is or something like that. Like what 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 everybody's, why everyone else is, is so satisfied with what he's done because he is still so internally motivated to do more and be better. Uh, but then also, I think the, the Harrison family is is savvy, having gone through things with Marvin Sr., and I think they know how to keep the right things on his plate and the right things off his plate. Yeah, Marvin Harrison is, Jr. is a professional athlete and how he carries himself. And it is a lot of that is a credit to him. He grew up with a professional athlete, so that's where a lot of that comes from. But he... The way he talked and handled media today is no different than maybe the first time we talked to handle him. It's just now there's more people interested because he's actually made a name for himself. But he's very pro-like, and it's both with the camera on and with the camera off. So I won't stop saying Marvison Harrison Jr., and Nathan won't stop saying today in podcasts. It's not today. <laughs> You're listening to this Friday. We talk to them Thursday. Days of the week. He. I thought this was interesting, Nathan. To what, what we're talking about, that he's a pro. Brian Hartline, in talking about Marvin, was saying, well, who's he trying to compare himself to? And he was talking a lot about, who are you chasing? And he's mm-hmm. talking a lot about the younger guys at Ohio State are chasing the older guys. And then who are the older guys chasing? And he said, is he chasing the guys in college football? Or is he chasing Devontae Adams? Is he chasing Justin Jefferson? And... I think we have to take a step back for a moment and acknowledge that because I'm trying to think of a college program where they had a great defensive end and they would say, well, does this guy want to be a first team All-American or is he chasing Nick Bosa? You know, is Lincoln Riley saying, hey, Caleb Williams, is he chasing what's here or is he chasing Patrick Mahomes? Because that's the conversation that Brian Hartline is having about Marv. And it is a next level. It is, this is the situation you are in for now. You play for Ohio State. You play against college athletes. But that's not your context. Your context is you're trying to be the best receiver on planet Earth. That's a Justin Jefferson conversation. Does he want to be, you know, an, an old head or an old veteran compared to who like the 18 year old or is he comparing himself to Justin Jefferson Devontae Adams I mean perspective is I don't even know how you would think anything otherwise besides the things he's trying to chase is not amateur and and on a smaller level like you know college football I mean I think his goals like a lot of our guys not just him it's not sheltered at college football I think he has perspective and wants to chase his dad so the, the small-mindedness, I don't think really Marvin has ever possessed that. He's always been pushed to think big, and I think he's probably doing that. Do you see that tricking down for the rest of the spring? Absolutely. So that was kind of our conversation. It's like it's day one spring, but 
who are we chasing? What's great about it is there is a bunch of guys that are younger that are chasing Emeka, Julian, and Marvin, and Xavier. And then those guys are chasing somebody they can't see every day. These guys get to see the best receivers in the country every day and chase them. That's the, the best thing that's got going for any young athlete, to see it every day, how they operate. And you can see that now. It's, it's an influence on these guys. The guys, the hard part is for the guys that are in the front of the room, they're chasing people they don't see every day and how they work every day. So they've got to play with an imagination. Um, and I think they're doing that. Nathan, you can kind of let something like that float by as like, just say we're just talking football. Uh, that stopped me because I don't know that I've ever heard college coaches really talk about that with the college athlete. But also, when I was reading Brian Hartline saying Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson, I didn't say, what? That's ridiculous. I was like, no, that, that sounds about right. 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 Nathan, that's special. Yeah, and he can't be more of an All-American than he was last year. He was unanimous All-American <laughs> already. He can't be right. – he can't be – he can't have more of a Bolitnikoff Award-worthy season than the one he had. And people think he should have won it, and he thinks he should have won it, and Brian Hartline thinks he should have won it. and um, So he did that already. Um, so really now you've you really have to – I think it's not taking your eye off the ball to like – to because you can't be judged anymore by the standards of – college football you you're gonna wreck college football you kind of already have you stay healthy you probably will again so what it from a from a skill standpoint what are you reaching for and I thought it was crystallized for you and I when we were talking to Dane Brugler at the draft just hanging out Dane Brugler uh, the athletic draft guru and he said you know because all this talk right now about the bounty that the Chicago Bears can pick up for trading down and getting away from this number one pick that they don't need to use on a quarterback but if Marvin Harrison Jr. was in this draft, that they would probably have to stay at number one. And that because so that tells you something that they would have to it would be so worth not picking up all these extra first round picks because they could select a wide receiver as good as him. I think that, again, um, that was a sort of a theoretical thing, um, but it, it crystallized it a little bit for me just how much of a talent we're talking about here. And to remember just as we were last year talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba coming off of that great season and what could have been ahead of him for another year of development, another year of growth, all those things. Like that's still true of Marvin Harrison Jr. too. Like we may not have seen the best football he will play for Ohio State. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the full quote What's great about it is there's a bunch of young guys chasing Emeka, Julian, Marvin, and Xavier. Those guys, but those guys are chasing somebody, those guys are chasing somebody they can't see every day. These guys get to see the best receivers in the country every day and chase them. That's the best thing going for any young athlete is to see it every day and how they operate. You can see that now, and it's an influence on these guys. The hard part is for the guys in the front of the room because they're chasing guys they don't see every day. So they got to play with the imagination and think they're doing that. I think as much as we want to make this a Marvin Harrison conversation, this is more of a Brian Hartline has set a standard in that room where good isn't good enough. Because you need to always be chasing something. Because now it's, yes, Devontae Adams, uh, all those all-pro wide receivers. But now, like, Brian Hartline's got his own guys who might be headed in that direction and Garrett and Chris. And that train's not stopping soon. So there's, there's an idea of this. You're always chasing somebody. And then he kind of said the same thing about Garrett and Chris during their last year here, where it was Garrett and Chris Olave are working at improving at the one percentile. It doesn't matter what you've already done. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. And for Marvin Harrison, it's you're chasing something, but that's kind of the standard that Brian Hartline has said is that 
it's not about what you can do at the college level. It's why they practice getting two feet in and not getting one foot in. It's not about what you can do dominantly at the college level. It's about making you a dominant receiver when you get to the NFL. And with Marvin, it's maybe just Chris. I didn't believe it as much, though, until now. Like, if you're telling me, hey, Chris Olave in college, his goal is in college, guys, his goal is up. It's like, okay, I get it. But, you know, but I believe it with Marvin. Because this is one of those, and I think we've had this conversation, like, you don't want to say it out loud, but why is he here? What else does he need to do? He doesn't need to do anything else. And again, the idea of like, hey, he might be the number one pick in this draft right now. If he went late on a beach with his, it's like, hey, Marvin, if you were on a desert island, what would you take on the island? I'd take my Monarch machine and that'd be it. Just go <laughs> catch balls for 12 months and we'll see at the combine. I don't, he'd still be the number one pick. So this is what feels real to me, which now we can find all the wood. I'm not a knock on wood guy, but maybe I should be. I think, Stephen, you're a knock on wood guy. I think I have people in my family. One of my best friends is a huge knock on wood guy. So, man, we don't have to run down the list of guys whose last years at Ohio State got screwed up because people know it by now because we've run it down enough before. And, like, it's not screwed up, but even, like, Joey Bosa Mm -hmm. was unbelievable in 14. He gets double and triple teamed as a junior, and he has half as many sacks. It doesn't mean he's a worse player, but he didn't. No, you know, and then he was a number three pick in the draft. But nobody was saying, hey, I think Joey Bosa. Joey Bosa might be as good as, you know, Joey Bosa. He's Khalil Mack. His goal is near, but what, like, what do we, because all we want, all of us want to see greatness and we want to see promise fulfilled. That's what you want out of sports. That's, that's all, that's all sports is at every level. You want your opponent to be healthy and at their best. So you can test yourself at the highest level. Nathan, what do we have to do to get the experience of the full Marv junior year. Because again, if you look back, Chris's stats weren't quite as good. Garrett's were slightly better, but like as good as Garrett and Chris were, and it's partly because Jackson was there, right? But they didn't they didn't put up 1,900 yards in their last season. Drake London went ahead of them in the draft, and then they were the two best rookie receivers, but they didn't get a chance to explode we're sitting on a rocket ship, Nathan. So what has to happen for all of us to get to live it? Are they going to quadruple team him? What like what I, this is not necessarily a conversation that came up with Marv on Thursday, but man, it's on my mind. I want to see the best of what this guy can be, not just for his draft status, but for every Ohio State fan and for his legacy here. Well, I think to get the best out of him, you kind of have to get the best out of the whole offense. I don't think as talented as he is, he'll get some, but I don't think he can go out and dominate a game on his own. He's gonna, I mean, first of all, he's a receiver. He, you know, he can't even do it the way a quarterback can do it. I think you're going to have to have consistent quarterback play. They're working on that. I think you're going to have to, but it cascades down from that, it, like the domino effect, right? So that means you can't have a disaster at these tackle spots that they're trying to figure out. That can't be a revolving door for pass rushes because that screws up the quarterback and that screws up how he's getting rid of the ball. I don't really think, and, and they got to fix the run game. The run game's got to be better, but that's also, we may end up in the long run finding out that was very health dependent. And if they can get those guys healthy, that that helps fix a lot of it. Um, but I, I don't, the one thing I don't think is necessarily an issue is they've got the other talent around him in that receiving core. And I think 
teams are going, I mean, Mecca Buga is really good. And I think that it could be a disaster for teams to overemphasize Marvin Harrison to the point that you're leaving yourself really exposed with those other guys. Yeah, I agree. I think the only real questionable thing right now is tackle. Can these tackles keep whoever this quarterback is protected? Because if not, then it doesn't matter how good Marvin is. I think that I'm glad you put up a Mecca because this was going to be my point. I think a Mecca Buka is the Jeff Okuda to Marvin Harrison's Chase Young. Because Chase Young was a freak of nature and all that stuff. But what helps a good pass rush is a solid secondary to help shore a lot of that up. And I mean, I, I just think about that Nebraska pick where Chase Young forces uh, Nebraska's quarterback, like Adrian Martinez out of the pocket and then uh, Jeff Okuda makes a ball on the play to get a pick. That's two top five, top three picks working in unison to terrorize another deep, another offense. Flip that on the offensive side now where if teams have to be just as worried about Emeka Buka because he's very good too. He's a thousand yard receiver, potential first round pick too. That only helps Marvin Harrison out even more. The same way that had Jackson Smith and the Jigba not gotten hurt last year, and Marvin Harrison was terrorizing guys at X, it would have taken some of the attention away from Jackson Smith the Jigba and allowed him to be record-breaking the same way. So I do think that having a Mecca Abuka is going to allow us to see the best version of Marvin because you can't just sell out on him because then you're going to have to deal with these other guys. So now I'm going to say something that's going to sound weird. Statistically. (laughs) Statistically. Only statistically. Marvin last year averaged 97.2 receiving yards per game. He had 77 catches, 1,263 receiving yards in 13 games. 97.2 was eighth in the country. It was one, two, three, fourth among Power Five receivers. The three guys ahead of him in the Power Five all left. Jalen Heyer from Tennessee, Charlie Jones from Purdue, and Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State. We are talking about a guy this way. We're comparing him, and is he comparing himself to Justin Jefferson and Devontae Adams? What's he going to be? Nathan, he didn't even average 100 receiving yards per game. Statistically, did they not get enough out of him last year? In a world where Jackson Smith and Jigba didn't play, Marv didn't even have 100 receiving yards per game. How much more statistically? We know he's great. The greatness is unquestioned. But Nathan, should he be destroying defenses? Should he be averaging 135 receiving yards per game this year? I just think it almost surprised me to look and be like, oh, 97. That's nice. That's not Justin Jefferson. You know what I mean, Nathan? It's almost a little bit weird. I hear what you're saying. Um, and it's funny because I was looking back last night, um, or a couple nights ago, I was all these Maryland defensive backs that are in the NFL draft this year. And I was thinking to myself, um, you know, including some that are going to go pretty high. And I was like, so what did he, what did he do against Maryland? He had a very like kind of average game against Maryland. I think he had like five receptions. That five game? for 68, five catches for 68 yards. Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, but I mean, there are so many games that are getting him the ball at least seven times. Um, but then there's a bunch where they only got him like three times. So um, I guess if the question is, I mean, I, 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 it wasn't like I anecdotally thought at the time, why aren't they throwing the ball to Marvin Harrison more? Because I mean, it's like three catches for 18 yards against Rutgers, three catches for 45 in a game that they blew out Wisconsin. 
you know, a couple of other five catch games, like the Northwestern game. I don't know how he caught five balls in the Northwestern game. I've forgotten that there were even five completions in the Northwestern game. So some of that could have been circumstantial. I don't know. Like a lot of those guys you mentioned, Marvin Harrison Jr. did more with the catches he had. Those guys had more yards per game because they caught a lot more passes. And I don't know that it necessarily, as great as he is, does it make sense for the Ohio State offense to force feed him at the expense of other talented guys? So, Stephen, before you go, let me let me throw yeah. in a couple other names then to the statistical conversation. Marv, ninety-seven yards per game last year. Jamar Chase, 2019, 127 yards per game. Devontae Smith, 2020, 143 yards per game. Jackson Smith and Jigba, 2021, 124 yards per game. So, yes, Iowa State, what else are they going to do besides throw the ball to Xavier Hutchinson? What else is Aiden O'Connell going to do besides throw the ball to Charlie Jones? I get it, but Stephen, okay. Now we're talking about the best of the best of the best of college football in recent years. And they're in the 120s and 130s. Let's do it for Marv. Doug, we're back on throw the ball bus. That's part of this. This, throw is, the ball. this is where I feel. It's, you know what it's, I think it's, about it's, bus? This isn't even a bus because a bus needs to be driven. This is a train. It's always on yes. the track. Mm-hmm. You just got to feed, put some coal in the stove, yep. and chug it, chug it, chug it. It just starts rolling again, Stephen. Mm-hmm. All you've done is found another way to say, hey, Ryan Day, and now Brian Hartline, throw the ball, and please throw it, and then throw it, and then throw it some more. Because that's all the people you're naming, they were also played in offenses that chucked it around. I mean, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson both having that level of stats. Joe Burrow threw 60 touchdown passes and 5,000 yards that year. Threw the ball around. Jackson Smith, the Jigba last year in 2021. CJ Stroud was chucking it around. So, of course, when you lose one of those, those wheels, when Garrett Wilson goes out, of course, somebody else has to pick up the slack. You miss both of those guys. Of course, now Jackson Smith, the Jigba just gets every catch imaginable. Uh, Devontae Smith, Alabama was as much as Najee Harris was really good that year. I think he won the, uh, the Doak Walker award, but they were throwing it a lot that year when Devontae Smith did what he did. So it's a, it is a combination of, do you have the guys that can take some attention away from your best player? Yeah, Ohio State has that with the Mecca this run game, Julian Fleming, uh, uh, Kate Stover to an extent. They've got, they have other guys that defensive coordinators have to game plan for. It's a new quarterback, so maybe they don't sit back in too high safety the entire time because they're scared of CJ Stroud picking them apart. So that adds more reason because it might be single high, man on man coverage, and we know Marvin Harrison's going to win. So all those elements come together. Are they going to chuck it around? Because if they chuck it around, then I see no reason Marvin Harrison isn't living in a world where it's 115 or 120 yards per game, because that also means that the number two guy is probably over 100 as well, or at least in the 90s. So to your point, Nathan, right, Georgia over 100, Michigan over 100, Penn State over 100, the whole game plan was Marv beat Joey Porter Jr., right? So when they really needed him, they did go to him. So the idea of like, hey, you beat Rutgers, you blew out Wisconsin, that's not really what it's about. But there's also just, again, my point here is maximum Marv. Like, I just want to see a great talent do things as much as I possibly. We all do, right? So it's not necessarily about like, hey, let's burn. Let's let Marv burn Rutgers guys in the fourth quarter. But I just don't think you can overfeed him, Nathan. No, I I get the point you're making. And I think it's every... Every point you want to make on one side can almost be point for the other. There's no receiver who 
had 77, who had more catches than him. He had 77 catches. No receiver, and he had 16.4 yards per carry per catch. No receiver above him in catches had even 14 yards. Well, one. Rashi Rice from SMU had 14.1 yards per, but that's still two plus yards per catch off of him. So some of it is is usage. Some of it is what kind of receiver you are, what kind of routes you run, how you're used within the offense is, is part of this too. But you can also then extrapolate that and say like, well, if he's that good with that still abundance of catches, then you you would think that you could just extrapolate that up, make make that even more once you start throwing him the ball more. So um, things got a little jacked up. Obviously, last year, last year, Jackson with the Jigba was supposed to be the centerpiece of this offense. It took them a few weeks to figure out exactly what the distribution was going to be. But I think this year, it's the opposite. This year, they start from day one with Marvin as the guy who is the flagship property here that needs to get the ball a lot. And we did talk about on the podcast on Tuesday about the Ryan Day talk about we want to move him around, right? We want to make sure like you got to use him. But also, as we noted, the one thing they're not going to do is put him back on punt returns, which we shot you straight earlier this week about this. And then Brian Hartline shot people straight, Stephen, on Thursday. And Marvin Harrison Jr. reminded people of it, too. Like, why? It's imaginary. They just they, It's a pain when you, when you punt a ball in the air and it hits. A, a football is weird shape, so sometimes it hits and it can really roll away. So Marvin was like the equivalent of a picnic basket. Just we need something back there to catch the punts. And then for some reason, the first four questions to Marvin Harrison Jr. on Thursday were about him catching punts like he's going to be a punt returner. And his first response was, yeah, Amekas um, did it last year. Amekas probably going to do it again this year. It's more likely that I'm going to be back here. You know, Brian Hartline went on a tangent about how weird it was that we made, no, not we, not we as in the people on Buckeye Talk, we as in the media, made a big deal about the fact that Marvin Harrison Jr. was back there. He is back there because they need somebody to catch the ball in spring practice. That's the only reason. Now, there is one benefit, though. It does he, he does help him when he's trying to track a ball. That does kind of translate over when he's actually trying to track a deep ball in the air like that. So there's some benefit for him there, but it's not something that needed to be pried into this much that we're two days in the spring practice and we're still asking questions about it. Yeah, I mean, if, if there were it, – it, it's not the only reason he's back there that needs someone to catch because they could just have a – G, uh, uh, a student helper go back and catch punts. I almost wonder if it's like, you know, it, it, that's why I was glad you made that second point about the ball tracking. Cause he brought mm-hmm. that up that it's like, Hey, why it'd almost yeah. be like wasted. Like why waste the, uh, let's use every part of the Buffalo The ball's going to be in the air. So let's have Marvin track it and catch it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it's almost like they're like, Hey, Monarch has invented a robot that can go back and catch balls until Emeka comes back. And Marvin's yeah. like, no, forget that. Like, well, let's get another, you I'll go back and catch him. You go get another Monarch machine that throws balls. We need that more. I'll, I'll fall on this grenade. I'll go back and catch the punts, and and let's get a um, – by the way, I think if he could take, like, three things to a desert island, I think it might all be Monarch machines, just so we'd have backups in case the first one got sand in it or, or broke or whatever. He'd have, a, he'd have a quarterback battle of the Monarch machines on the island. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like he'd be painting a face on the Monarch machine. Monarch? <laughs> That is a reference to the 2002 film Castaway. So, Nathan, the the one idea of this that is is beyond Marv is this is how Marv does business. Steven, you said he's a pro. What does that do? 
we've talked about, we know what the standard is in the receiver room, but Nathan, I think it's gone even beyond. It feels like with the way Marvin Harrison Jr. goes about it. And he was talking about that. Hey, he said, what's the quote? He said, it's not just my machine, right? That machine Mm -hmm. to go catch balls. Other guys are going now because not everybody goes all the time, but some guys go sometimes because it's, it's, I'll always remember this. And it was, uh, it was when I was in Philadelphia covering the Phillies and the, the then Indians came to Philadelphia for an exhibition game as the Phillies were opening a new ballpark. And it's my first time I ever met Paul Hoynes and the, the Cleveland GM was talking to some Cleveland writers. And I went over to ask about Jim Tomey because he had been with Cleveland. Now he's with Philadelphia. And he said, like, when your best player is your best guy, right? It just changes everything. Like it's all this leadership stuff. And when your best player is also your hardest working player, it's like, why is the best receiver in the country here at 10 o'clock at night? I'm not the best receiver in the country. I guess I better be here at 10 o'clock at night. And it just feels, Nathan, it's extreme. This dude is weird. All yeah. he does is catch footballs, but it is laying something down that is above and beyond even, I think, what the standard has been at Ohio State and then in the Ohio State receiver room. And, and Marvin and Brian Hartline both acknowledge that, right? Yeah, once in a while you find these guys that are just this unique. They're just wired this way. I've told the story before about when I covered Purdue and they had Caleb Swanigan who would go in and do the stair lifter for like an hour before practice, like before he did his pre-practice interviews and then went and did like two and a half hours of Big Ten basketball practice after that. Like there's guys who are just wired weird. And it's not weird, but like they're just they're just they're locked in. And I, I, we've talked before about leadership and what the true like how much of that is like a coaching thing buzzword and how much of it is legitimate. And I've always thought that what you're getting to is one of the legitimate things because we've heard it from too many coaches that when your hardest workers are your best players, then that impacts it. And if your best leaders are not on the field and too many and in football, it's a little bit different because you got like six captains or whatever. But if, if there's too much of an imbalance towards the guys who are um, do all of those those behind the scenes things, but they're not actually out on the field in crunch time. And that leadership isn't a presence on the field. I think that's wrong too. I think you've got to have guys who are actually on the field and have that sort of leadership, that command, that leadership presence. So Ryan Hartline was talking about that a lot today um, about the, the, cause I asked him about that trickle down through the whole roster that once, once guys see him doing that, that, uh, how do you how do you not like imagine being a freshman or second year receiver at Ohio State right now and trying to first of all just trying to measure yourself up against Marvin Harrison Jr. and his college prime on a day to day basis but then the what you're talking about Doug where it's like man I'm beat I can't wait to get home and like you're like where's Marv he's like oh he's over just getting started on the modern machine right now tonight and by the way like probably uh, from what I've heard like Carrie's really strong academic scores too so um i think that stuff that stuff impacts through the rest of the roster and it's one of those things i think we will probably be on this beat writing stories all of us this time because like we definitely backed off of the marvin harrison punt return thing i'm glad we didn't i don't think we had a word about that anywhere except on this podcast kind of making fun of it but and Go to like the fall of 2024, even fall of 2025. I bet we're writing stories about somebody saying like, yeah, I, I, I was kind of struggling. But then like I saw Marvin Harrison Jr. in there, you know, all hours of the night. And like if that guy was going to do it, I had to go do it, too. And now look at me, that sort of thing. Like I can I can already I might as well just go ahead and write that up and like store it away because I'm sure somebody's going to say it.
Yeah, I think Marvin's allowing Brian Hartline to really prove his point across because a lot of things you just said, there's there's a way you you have to work in that room and Marvin kind of came in with it and he had an impression on everybody, whether it was the young guys or even the old guys. Garrett Wilson will tell you that he would watch Marvin Harrison work as a true freshman and be like, oh, I'm not working at that level. And that's the dude who was just the offensive rookie of the year who was had a, was had an impression made on him by a true freshman at the time. And as we get into talking about these young guys, that's what they all had impressed on them over the past year is the best wide receiver in the country is in here every single night working. Why am I not in here? And just learning how to work at a level. I asked, I was asking Brian Hartland a lot of these questions. And one of the things he said was a lot of people think they know how to work, but they really have no idea how to work. Marvin Harrison is not one of those people who doesn't, who thinks he knows how to work and doesn't know. And so one thing that you saw a lot last season, especially since we would be in there after, after Tuesday media days and doing our videos, you'd see Marvin in there every single time. And throughout the season, you'd see Reese, he said Reese Stocksdale, the walk on is in there with him all the time as well, which is true. But sometimes you see a Mecca in there. Sometimes you see Jaden Ballard in there. But over time, you started to see the, the true freshmen join him in there. And it even got to a point where you were seeing defensive guys, like the cornerbacks would be in there with them as well. And so Marvin's not much of a talker. He's a lead by example t- kind of guy. And when he's having the impact he's having on the field to Nathan's point, and yet he's still working at this level. It makes everybody else go, well, I have no business going home if a unanimous All-American and is in here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, every time after practice. So my two slogans for this season would be Maximum Marv. So Maximum Marv is like Marv is Mac making himself the best that he can be, and he's got a whole lot of talent in there. So Maximum Marv, every day he's trying to be Maximum Marv. But then for the team and Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, it's maximize Marv. Like, what are we doing? Let's not have this be a 63-catch, 1,018-yard season because uh, people triple-teamed him. Figure it out. There is something that we have to talk about, though, that it didn't bother me, but we have to talk about it in regards to Marvin Harrison. We'll do it next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, so I spent a lot of time on Thursday with Xavier Johnson. And I don't know, somebody else must have been talking about this earlier. Were people talking about the receivers going out to eat? Was that a thing? I caught the back end of a receivers going out to eat conversation. I heard Xavier Johnson talking about it, but I didn't hear. So Xavier else. Johnson was asked about it, and he's like, hey, when you guys go out to eat, <laughs> where do you go? And he said, well, if it's Reese Stocksdale, the walk-on picking, he likes hibachi. He wants to go to the Japanese steakhouse. I'm down with that. That's where we go for every birthday. What's better than Japanese steakhouse? I get it. He said, if Marv's picking, it's a little more high end, maybe like Ocean Club. So I have the Ocean Club menu up. Ocean Club, (laughs) Mitchell's Ocean Prime, uh, Ocean Club, whatever, Ocean Prime restaurant in Columbus. You get an eight ounce filet. That's 56. Two lobster tails. Uh, twin lobster tails is 64. And then whenever you find yourself in a situation like this, and every now and then in the course of our lives, you might find yourself in a situation like this, you have to cross your fingers and pray they have chicken. Because the chicken's always going to be the cheapest. And the super fancy place is like, uh, maybe I can afford the chicken. So the chicken is 39. Even that's a little steep. And then somebody was like, well, Marv pays then, right? If you're going to the Ocean Club. And Xavier was like, oh, we don't want to make Marv pay. And I was like, you don't want to make Marv pay? 
he's going to be a gazillionaire on his own in 11 months. And by the way, his dad made a gazillion dollars on the NFL. Steven, it, I'm not worried about it. But I, the idea, I don't want, you know, Keon Gray is being like, man, I hope I can afford the chicken. When Marv's like Ocean Club, baby. Steven, what can we do about this? Yeah, I, I think it's selfish that Marvin Harrison forces his teammates to go to Ocean Club with him. You're talking about he might eventually be a gazillionaire. I think he might already be a gazillionaire. Um, yes! There was a story that was told last summer when you know the NIL stuff was like a new conversation. and Some, some of it was interesting. Some of it was annoying. But allegedly Marvin Harrison said something along the lines of, if it ain't, ain't six figures, don't come to me with it. And the person he said it to looked at him and said, dude, I'm not in charge of that stuff anyway, but I see where your head is at right now. So I think Marvin might already be, first of all, he's come from a millionaire family, so he's used to eating at places like this. But as the superstar on the team and the leader of the team in the face of Ohio State football, I feel like the least he can do is pay for the meals when they go to Ocean Club mm. or be okay just going to Hibachi. Um, it's, the, it's the one flaw in the Marvin Harrison story right now is that he is forcing – college kids who are not nearly as successful as he is both on or off the field yet to go to ocean club. Also, I'd like to go to ocean club with Marvin Harrison as long as he's paying for it. Yeah, no, otherwise you're getting chicken breasts, no sides and water. Correct. And you're like, I don't know, is 11% okay on the tip? Come on, man. But we don't all live in Marv's world, Nathan. We can't all live there. Yeah, but this is why some of us don't go to Chili's like six days a week. We just save up and go to a nicer place on the sixth day, and we just make our own food at home for the first five days. I think Marvin Harrison is over eating on the meal ticket at Ohio State and whatever the players get. The players you get think he's eating on the meal ticket? I think the players, the players have food provided for, and the players go to. We've been in that room. I think the players go there and get three square meals a day, and then on like Friday night, they've got their nil money and their per diem and their whatever, and they're probably going somewhere nice. I support this. I support it. I think the I think the younger players. This is I think I think it's another thing because I think you're right, Stephen. I think they're probably younger guys on that team who have never eaten at a place this nice, and it they, they get exposed to it. It's a it's a different experience to go to a nicer restaurant like that. Welcome to the wide receiver room. We work on the Monarch over time. We blow past cornerbacks on Saturdays, and we eat at Ocean Club on Friday nights. If Zone I six, go, baby. Yeah. yeah, if I go tell them that I'm willing to pay for my own Ocean Prime, can I just be an Ohio State receiver? Is that like the only prerequisite? Barb, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to catch 300 balls. Then I'm going to eat six lobster tails. <laughs> well, that's the other you, thing. I don't can think you hang go, with me in either way? Eat the whole if, tank. If that doesn't scream NFL player, I don't know what does. Be like, listen, I'll pay for my own meal. I don't know what you've heard from Zach Harrison. I can definitely break seven flat in the 40. <laughs> I'm like, I'm actually going to cut out of practice like half an hour early, and I'm getting the triple dipper of chilies. So that's how I go about it. Okay, so I just... It's nothing. I just something for Marv to keep in mind, right? If you if you're there and you're seeing the younger guys getting the chicken breast and water, just have that in your head. Okay, let's play a game called Marv chases his dad, and part of that is we're gonna do a little quiz. We're gonna do a little ESPN game show. Do you guys want to guess where Marvin Harrison Senior ranks all time in NFL receiving yards? Stephen, you just want to guess off the top of your head? Top twenty five. So I'll say. 18. Nathan, you no want to guess receiving yards, Marv, NFL history? 
it's, it's higher than that, right? It's got to be top ten. I'll say sixth. He's ninth. So oh. now let's play name the eight guys ahead of Marvin Harrison Sr. in all-time receiving yards in NFL history. Steven, we'll start with you. Name one of the eight. Jerry Rice, not Emick. Jerry Rice is first. Nathan Baird, name one. Um, it's testing our NFL knowledge. Testing yeah. our NFL well, it's, knowledge. It's because it's, it's, it's longevity is such a big part of it. Um, yeah. There are some very, very famous guys on this list. Randy Moss. Oh, Randy Moss is fourth. Well done. All right. Stephen Means, next to you. Um, This is just because he played forever. Larry Fitzgerald? He's second. Very well That's done. A oh, That's Nathan a very good Baird. one. Nathan Baird Oof. to you. Um, wow, why am I drawing a blank on all these receivers? So, I mean, uh, Reg, are, Reg, oh, Reggie, guys, Reggie Wayne. Uh, he's he's actually 10th. He's right behind. Oh, right behind him. Okay. Yeah. Good for Peyton Manning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah for real. <laughs> um, are they all receivers? One of them is not. One of them is a tight end. Tony Gonzalez. Tony Gonzalez is fifth. Okay. I hope I'm you guys are playing along at home. So there's four left. I would say of the four guys left, one is two are quite famous. One is moderately famous, and one's a little more difficult. But Nathan, we'll give you one more guess. Michael Irvin. It's a good guess. He's not. Uh, Steven, you want to guess one more? Andre Johnson. So Terrell Owens is third. Mm. Isaac Bruce is fifth. Oh, that's obvious, yeah. Tim Brown is seventh, and Steve Smith is eighth. So okay. those are the guys who are ahead of Marvin Harrison Sr. So that's the bar here. In his college career, Marvin Harrison Sr. caught 135 passes for 2,728 yards and 20 touchdowns in four years at Syracuse. He averaged 20.2 yards per catch. Marv Jr. averages 15.9 yards per catch in his career. To tie his father, he needs 47 receptions this year. He needs 1,316 yards, though. Now, it's going to be three years and only two years as a starter compared to Marv's four years. But 1316, Nathan, I think that's a number we need to remember. Mm -hmm. Because in Brian Hartline talk about guys chasing people, he said one of the guys Marv is chasing is his dad. And I bet you that number might be known in the family, 1,316. I, I think it is. Uh, I think it is known in the family. And he's uh, anyway, the stories that we've heard kind of behind the scenes um, and, and Marvin even alluded to it today, Marvin Jr., that, you know, that the the standard that his his dad sets and the expectations are high. And but I think some of that is also a little bit unspoken, too. He does, I don't know that it's necessarily a relationship where he's like saying to him, like, like he's like showing him the number. Um, but I think it's it's one of those unspoken things where like you're a, you're the son is chasing the dad almost like if you're a younger brother you're chasing the older brother. I think that the, it's probably it's maybe a number that means more to Marvin Jr. himself than it's like written on the wall at home in the in the in the house. You know what I'm saying? In the family house. I don't know, man. I remember that special ESPN did on the Marvin Harrison and Marvin Harrison Jr. And the way Marvin Harrison Sr. was talking, I don't know, man. They might be talking a little bit of trash at this point to his son about what he did in college. Just because it's it's a re- because now if he does it, it's a reasonable thing that Marvin might pass him. So it's actually fun and not chastising your kid. So I don't know. It might be a little bit of a competition. I mean, because Marvin, so- as, as, a, as a college player, like Marvin Sr. was really good. 
was a first round draft pick, but I don't know that he was. I don't think he was an All American. Like he, he has one those... one thousand yard. Yeah, yeah. His like, not, the ninety five year is the only year he had a thousand yards, and he's got twenty all time TDs. So Marvin Harrison basically in the first four games is going to probably have more touchdowns career wise because he's got seventeen career right now. Never played more than eleven games in a season. This so, is about early nineties, but uh-huh. and it's Syracuse. It's always Syracuse. indoors, though. Imagine Marvin. Imagine Marv Junior indoors oh. every game, every home game. Oh my goodness <laughs> me, oh my! He's actually so, Marvin Harrison. Uh, Marvin Harrison what else, Nathan, Not even again. Syracuse's all-time leading receiver. Who is? Um, I don't know who it. It was broken by someone named Steve Ishmael in the final game of his career in 2017. I don't know if he still is. I'm just reading off of our fine friends at Wikipedia. Okay. Uh, anything else from Marv Jr., Nathan, that you that struck your ear as he was conversing for 15 minutes or so on Thursday? You know, I know that we had a, a lot of discussion about the play against Georgia, the concussion play, and he was asked again today about it and uh, took the high road said that uh, he was asked, do you think that was a dirty play? He said, I think he was just trying to make a play on the ball. And that kind of laughed off the whole thing where the company had had the signed photo of of, of Bullard and supposedly signed by him um, that they were selling, which later got you know retracted or whatever. Um, they took down and after the kind of public outcry about it. So I thought that was interesting. He had kind of a right sense of humor about that, um, at least what he's willing to say publicly. But also, like, you know, someone brought up the Bolitnikov because because um, Hartline had said something along the lines of anyone with two eyes saw that he should have won the Bolitnikov. And, you know, this isn't the first time you said this, but Marvin's like, yeah, like, I, I think I deserve that award. So Coach Hartline said, you know, anybody with two eyes knows you should have won the Bolitnikov. He says, you're, you know, you're still very hungry. What do you still want to get better at? Uh, I think, like I said, there's always room for improvement for everywhere. Um, it's, you know, ball skills, um, getting out of breaks faster, making everything look the same. Um, there's always you know, room for improvement. You can never be perfect at anything. Um, but like I said a couple minutes ago, like one thing that you know, I'm conscious about is just making plays after the catch. Um, trying to extend you know, 10-yard routes or 10-yard catches in the you know, 60-yard plays. Um, that's one thing I'm conscious about. Does it bother you that you didn't win the Bolitnikov cup and a lot of people should? Uh, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't, yeah, definitely does bother me because I think that's one of the things you look back on as your, your college career. You can you know, point to that. I won the best receiver in country award for that year. Um, I think I definitely deserved it. Uh, I mean, Jalen had a great year as well uh, at Tennessee, but um, yeah, I think I deserved it. As humble as he is, and because you have to have a certain amount of humility, I think, that keeps you in that gym every night the way he is, uh, just a guy who uh, has a sense of how good he is and, um, and, and what is potentially in front of him this year. And I think it's going to be fun to watch. Okay, so we'll wrap up Marv there. Before we get to the young second-year receivers, I'm going to save Xavier Johnson. We'll talk about Xavier Johnson next week. I'm going to write about Xavier Johnson next week. He's just a fine fella. Uh, I was at the table talking to Jaden Ballard. Jaden Ballard doesn't love to talk, but he did say that he wants to be more than a deep threat. He's working on his route tree and that kind of thing. I do think he could be really valuable to this team as a deep threat, though. And I said, like, what does it take to be a deep threat? And he's like, speed. It's like, <laughs> okay. Like, and he's like, you know, you work with, with, with Mickey Mirati on that. You try to maximize all those things. I don't know that he's going to take snaps from Julian Fleming, but this is like this, the step up year for him, I think. And it's, he's just intriguing to me, Stephen, as 
will he be a guy who is sort of a deep threat, but isn't really ever a primary part of the offense and kind of just passes through here? Or will he be a guy that raises the level of this offense? Because I was like, what is it? If you have a great deep threat, you know, he said, well, you can take a top off the defense. And we talked about on the Thursday podcast with Brian Hartline about Brian Hartline saying, hey, we need more explosive plays. I don't know that that means Jaden Ballard is going to be the guy to make them in 2023 for Ohio State. But if we're lining up explosive receivers in a room with 13 scholarship receivers for 2023, in the explosion conversation, he's got to be up there, Stephen. I just don't know how it's going to fit this year, but Jaden Ballard's like still plugging away on trying to find his his spot here. Yeah, he was always a long-term game while Marvin and Emeka were like, okay, by year two, you guys should be ready to do this out here. And he does give an element that, quite frankly, of the top four, they don't give it to the same level. We've seen Julian do it, but he's not as fast as Jaden Ballard. The problem is, is he still just the deep threat? Because you can't just be a one-trick pony Devin Smith in this offense anymore, where it's just go beat your man down the field and we'll throw it to you because we need to you know, spread things out vertically here. So maybe it means a role this year, or maybe it means that he is a guy that should be a locked-in starter in 2024 when it is a more well-rounded-out game. But it's always something on the table, especially when you hear Brian Hartline say we need more explosive plays, something to that nature. Well, the most explosive wide receiver you have in terms of verticality would be Jaden Ballard. But if it's still the only thing he's mastered, I don't know how much it matters in 23 when you've got your top four options back and he's clearly still number five. Okay. Let's leave that there. And when we come back, we'll dig in on the second-year Ohio State receivers that we just so far don't know a ton about. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, we do have our scholarship chart at cleveland.com slash OSU. You can just put in cleveland.com Ohio State football scholarship chart. Just to run through the receivers, senior guys, Xavier Johnson, Julian Fleming, juniors, Marvin, and Emeka. Sophomores, Jaden Ballard's a redshirt sophomore, then Kojo Antwi and Caleb Brown. Freshmen, Caleb Burton, Keon Grays, Brandon Ennis, who's not here yet, Bryson Rogers, Noah Rogers, and Carnell Tate. So that's a pretty good... 13-man receiver room, Nathan. I think, you know, you talk about rooms, you have too much, you have too little, like that. they seem right on track there. Just to drop it in very quickly, the Xavier Johnson conversation, when he was asked for like, hey, who's a young guy? He said Carnell Tate. So he said Carnell Tate as, hey, you could tell guys like Garrett, and Xavier Johnson's been here forever, guys like Garrett, guys like Jackson, they came in and were making plays right away. That's what he said, and the context was, Carnell Tate. So let's put a pin in that. That's a first-year guy who just got here, but let's all remember that. But Nathan, the Brian Hartline side of this, we heard Ryan Day on Tuesday, the very first day of spring practice, kind of put it out there. Hey, okay, second-year receivers, the first-year guys are coming. What was Brian Hartline's vibe about, okay, as you've talked about many times, Nathan, we kind of know what's up now. Next spring at this time is going to be wide open season for the receivers. Where does Brian Hartline think these young guys are? Well, I mean, which guys? The, the second year guys, or the first year guys? I guess all of them. I mean, he, well, what, I, yeah. how, how did Brian talk? How did he talk about the second year versus the the newcomers? Well, yeah, I know. I think I think the vibe is very similar to what Ryan Day is is saying because you know at one point I tried to ask a specific Noah Rogers question, um, and it became a broader 
this whole first group, this whole first year group, the whole freshman group is, is been impressive and he's, he's excited about what they're going to be. So I think that that general vibe is, is there that this is going to be a, a really competitive spring. And it, it's, it's, it's odd because it's like competitive and then you put it on ice because I don't think they expect to have to, unless, unless injury problems come up, I don't think they expect to have to use guys, but I also wouldn't put it beyond the possibility that someone from one of those two groups could jump up and be the fourth one on the field. I don't, I don't know that like that, um, that that's like that Ballard is like, like got that so locked up. I mean, there's some really talented guys in those first two in those freshman and second year classes. So it's a, a really fun thing that's happening sort of behind the scenes and then kind of gets hidden again once the, the fall comes around. But something that I think we have to always keep in mind, just because, as we've said before, like all three of these guys, these top guys are are almost assuredly all three of them gone this time next year. And then now there's going to be a really fun competition like we think it's you know quarterback competitions are are the most important but when you have like here's six guys which three are going to be the starters maybe more than six which three are going to start this fall and we're watching that battle out next spring i think that's going to be a lot of fun do you think that's steven do you think somebody of the young guys could jump into some kind of primary backup position this year or would you be surprised if any of them would infringe on the Jaden Ballard, Xavier Johnson discussion as the two main guys behind the three starters. Xavier Johnson being one of the best players in the Big Ten. And honestly, I don't think they get up to four. I think there's just a lot of trust that's been built in Xavier Johnson, um, especially last year with what he was doing in big games. So that might be locked in, but five and six could easily be true freshmen. And that's whether it's the three who are here now or when Brandon Ennis arrives this summer. I wouldn't be shocked by that because, I mean, Hartline kind of said it. He's kind of already seeing the way they operate. He wasn't talking this way about the freshmen a year ago. You know, he's talked about freshmen like this when Marvin Harris. He kind of he, – he he compared it to when Marvin Harrison and Emeka arrived and how they were pushing guys. He said the freshmen as a whole have, have had a seriousness about them – and a purpose about them. They know their plays. They find ways to put good things on film. They have a high standard. So we have to work on not getting down on ourselves, which is basically, you know, they think they're really good. They should be doing everything perfect. So when they don't do something perfect, you probably get frustrated, but that's like, but we have, but there has to be a balance. The whole group has done a group has done a great job. So the only bad thing he had to say about them is sometimes they get frustrated when they don't do something well, which that's what 18 year olds do all the time. So I would not be shocked if any of these freshmen, especially Bryson Rogers, there might be some just, it's the Jaden Ballard plan, but maybe a little bit sped up. He might need a year just because he didn't come from the most um, certified offense in high school. But the other three, Noah Rogers, Carnell Tate, and Brandon Ennis, I won't be shocked if any of those two are number five and number six by the time we get to fall camp. So we did not talk to any of the true freshman receivers, but we did talk to three of the four second-year receivers. We did not talk to Caleb Burton because, as previously discussed, he had something pop up on day one from an injury standpoint, so we did not see him on Thursday. The highest ranked in their recruiting class in 2022, Stephen, was Caleb Brown from Chicago, was the number 79 overall player in that class, was the number 13 receiver, Right now, he is number 13 for Ohio State. He's listed at 5'10 and 196. You talked with him. What was the vibe from Caleb Brown? Yeah, I think he, 
Unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to learn from Jackson Smith and Jigba all season last year because that's probably the guy that his game is most compared to just because he has a running back background. And so there was going to be some transitioning, learning how to play receiver, but he's in the slot and he's a guy who's trying to maybe lock down that punt return or a return role for this team because he knows their starters back. But he just is a, he's a yards after the catch kind of type of guy and he's trying to take advantage of that as much as possible and really just find a way to show his value. But he knows that his value might be best used on special teams as a punt returner this year. And it can be a gateway into him getting on the field in a real way next season. Is he your leader, Stephen, for punt return right now? If you had to guess who catches the first punt week one, Ooh. would it be him? I mean, if we're just eliminating Emeka Buka, because it'll probably be him. Yeah, I wouldn't. Be, I'd say yeah, because as much as we don't care about the idea, they're not whether they get a punt return for, return for a touchdown. That's cool and everything, but it's probably not going to happen. But he does bring you some things there that maybe we saw from Garrett in 2019 as a true freshman when we saw him get back there. Uh, the, the way Jackson was able to kind of solidify that role over the last two years before he went down with the injury, he could do some of those things as well. So if they're not going to keep a Mecca back there because they'd just rather him focus more on wide receiver stuff, then, yeah, I'd say that uh, Caleb Brown's probably a leader to take that position on. All right, next up is Keon Grays. Mm-hmm. He was the number 88 overall player. He was the number 14 receiver. He's number seven in your program. He's listed at six feet and 185 out of Arizona, Stephen. What was the vibe from him? I got you going to say he's listed at six feet two in your heart. After you said the program thing. He's at Z right now because he's the fast guy, as he liked to play it, like to put it. He's one of those guys who had to learn how to work here. I think there is an idea of what it means to be an Ohio State receiver, and that's cool until you get here and you see what it actually takes to get on the field and actually play at this level. And he was one of those guys. It took him some time to get it. I asked him, how long did it do really take for you to start, start clicking? He said bowl practice when it was just, just extended these long weeks of having to practice. That's when it really started to click for him, both physically and mentally and just learning the playbook. And he's one of those guys. I think he had something interesting to say as well. He said, it's either you're going to do it or you're not. If you're not going to do it, then you're not cut out to be here. You start to, re- and you start to realize that I've got to get on top of my stuff. This is a guy who probably realized midway through the season that he's got to take it up a level. And he's taking him, and as we'll get into Koji Antwi here, both of those guys, they talk to like guys who understand that there's an opportunity here, even if they know it's not going to pay off for another year. They're trying to get as many reps as possible because who knows that these reps are still going to be here in the fall when the team is healthier. All right, so let's go to Kojo. Last one, again, Caleb Burton was the number 132 overall player, and he was higher ranked. He was like a five-star when he committed to Ohio State and then had like an injury issue in high school, right? So that's, no, that's, um, that's, that's Burton. That's Burton. No, that's what I mean. Caleb Burton. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Caleb Burton's okay. 132, but once upon a time, he was higher than that, but we did not talk to him. So then Kojo mm-hmm. Antwi was 151 in his class, number 26 receiver from Georgia, He's number 14, 5'11", 194. And lots of times we get asked, like, hey, who do you guys want to talk to? And, you know, I'll try. We're trying to get people that fans are interested in. And after watching, Stephen, the first day of practice Tuesday, I put Kojo on my list. Because I thought he, the way he moved, I he kind of caught my eye a little bit. And I thought to myself, okay, if we're – if Ryan Day has sort of laid it down for these second-year receivers, it's time to go. I thought maybe day one, Kojo Antwi was the guy who looked readiest to go. What was the vibe from him when we spoke with him, when you talked to him on Thursday? 
Yeah, he actually played, the, uh, I believe, the most snaps of any of the freshmen. He played 28 last year in that you know limited time that they did play. He says he's at X, which is intriguing to me because he's not a Marvin X. He's more of a Garrett X, where he's this undersized guy who's got a catch readiness that makes up for that. And he was talking the same way that, that Keon Graves was talking. But he was saying more, this is a chance to show people what you can do, especially Coach Hart. You want to improve and you want to catch some eyes. This is an opportunity, you know, you want to flash as much as possible in this situation. But I think it's more of the Garrett type X who has some explosiveness in him, especially when you're going to move away from Marvin Harrison next year. That's an interesting guy to keep an eye on, especially since he didn't get here till June. And so for him to have played the most snaps, even if they were all limited in snaps, that's an interesting thing to me. Just because it's a, we saw what Garrett can do at X. And if this guy possesses some of that same stuff, even if it takes a little bit longer to develop, it's worth keeping an eye on because he's already flashed in these first two practices we've seen. So Nathan, just the reality of this. I mean, we all learned it when the four guys came in four years ago now, right? And it was Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Mookie Cooper and G Scott. And I was like, Oh my gosh, here we go. This amazing group of receivers and Mookie Cooper transfers after a year. G Scott moves to tight end. Jackson Smith and Jigba is three years and out to the NFL and Julian Fleming battle injuries in his back for year four, Nathan. So all nobody's path was the same four different paths for those guys. Is there ever, can you ever have too many receivers or when we hear this kind of thing, Hey, Second year guys, it's time to go. The first year guys are right on your heels. Is this just how competition and position room depth should work for great teams? I think we know what Brian Harline thinks about that. It goes back to that uh, answer <laughs> that he gave that we were talking about on the last podcast about you know having competition on a daily basis and how you know stretching that out and having it push the best guys to the top. Um, I, I think you know we we've come to accept it as being the plan in the quarterback room and there the finality is a little bit tougher because you're always kind of pushing somebody out down the line, but at, at receiver, it's, a, it's, you've got a little bit more flexibility. I think it's, I don't think there is such a thing as too much talent. I, I don't think you're, you're, cause you're not getting a situation where the guy who's supposed to stay is leaving, right? The right. only thing that screws it up is if someone comes in, if there's someone in this group, that's a true freshman who comes in and is so jaded about not playing in front of Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, and Julian Fleming that they bail. But I, I think they probably try to weed that out in the recruiting process. I think that's maybe why they, some of the guys who are here as first-year players are here and guys who in some cases were recruited or were ranked higher, whatever, et cetera, aren't here uh, because Ohio State made some some character decisions. I, you know, I was talking to because I was going to write about Noah Rogers this spring and talking to his coach and about the just kind of the makeup that he has and how it goes back to his his mom before him and um, his he has an older brother that's playing at uh, Carolina I think it is and to, to today like uh, Brian Hartline when I asked about him talking about you know various physical things but also said something along the lines of he's got a high GAS factor from people who don't know what GAS stands for I think it's I think it's grilled Atlantic salmon. Um, but you can you can guess as to what GAS stands for. It, it is for Marv. It's probably it fifty-one bucks at Ocean Club. Full circle. It's full circle. <laughs> so so you know what I'm saying like those they're they're getting guys in who I think can uh, the delayed gratification here of like you come in as a freshman like Jackson's been the jigba had the toe tap 
Marvin Harrison Jr. had the Rose Bowl, but only because the guys in front of him, like he wouldn't have had that if that had if if they had not been playing in the Rose Bowl. If they'd made the playoff, you know, we wouldn't have got really any good look at Marvin Harrison Jr. until last year. Uh, so like those moments, you might get those moments as a freshman, you might not, but look what's waiting for you as a sophomore. It's Jackson Smith and Jigba's sophomore year. It's Marvin Harrison Jr.'s sophomore year. Now, that's not true of the guys who are second-year players this year. That's what makes it so compelling that you've got the, – the, they're getting kind of sandwiched in here between the guys who are established. And now you're going to have a group of guys, the second-year guys, who are going to be third-year guys next spring. And the, the urgency is really going to be there because just because of how talented these first-year guys behind them are. It's going to be a real pressure cooker, I think, between now and then. Yeah, Garrett Wilson, just because of what the room ahead of him was like, is probably the most we'll, – he had the biggest role we'll see of a freshman receiver going forward Oh, well, until Jeremiah Smith gets here. That's a guy who might end up playing as a true freshman because that's just – he's another freak. I think this time around is more interesting, especially when we get to next spring, because I don't think the room has seen this big of a reset since Brian Hartline took over where – you know, in 2020, you had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave coming back. In 2021, you had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave coming back in one new guy. In 2021, you had, you had Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave coming back with one new guy. Even this this year coming up, in 2022, it was J- Jackson Smith and Jibba coming back with some new guys. This year coming up, you got all three coming back, which means all three are leaving. So as much as the spots are open, it's we're going to see like a real true competition at all three spots in a way that we maybe haven't seen before. Cause in the past it's been, Oh, Jackson Smith, the Jigba is flashing. So that means less for JMO. So JMO's out the door. Hypothetically, we might see two or three JMOs next year, depending on how some of these competitions go over the next year. And just by the numbers, the second year receivers were the number 13, 14, 21 and 26 receiver recruits in the country according mm-hmm. to uh 247 and the freshman guys were five eight and nine so they're all ahead of the highest guy and then bryson rogers was 49 but bryson rogers was just a guy that brian hartline liked and sometimes if brian hartline likes a guy he doesn't care what you're ranked right but mm-hmm. but carnell tape brandon ennis and noel rogers are like okay so that's you know, recruiting rankings aren't the only thing, but this is part of what we're talking about when the coaches themselves are saying, hey, these first-year guys are on the heels of these second-year guys. To further answer that question you were asking, like, is this the right approach? Like, there's one position on this team that since I've been around, so going back to the 2019, 2019 season, one position, one position on this team that hasn't absolutely needed a transfer to come in and fix the room. Quarterback, Justin Fields, they needed Trey Sermon to come in. They've needed offensive linemen to come in. They've needed defensive backs. That's true. Uh, linebacker is the one where they, I guess, they didn't really get a transfer in to fix the room. They have brought in transfers there. You could call Steel Chambers, though, sort of a transfer that they had to bring over and make at least transfer it across the, the hall or whatever. But, like, receiver is the only one. Receiver has been – it's it's been a healthy room from top to bottom. And, and part of the reason is they've never caught themselves in a situation where somebody does transfer out unexpectedly or you have an early NFL draft thing like what just happened with Luke Whipler, and now you're caught with your pants down trying to figure out who's going to – play those positions for you i mean it's they they keep it this stocked and you will lose jameson williams and mookie cooper once in a while for valid reasons and and it was probably the best it, obviously the best move for them to move on but they'd miss them and, but to your point even at linebacker they went searching in the transfer portal they for toe to they yeah. just didn't land them yeah they right. wide receiver brian hartline is not looking for wide receiver transfers it's, except and they got he's no, Tranum here 
Yeah, they got yeah they got Chip Trainum. Chip Trainum uh, came here to be a linebacker. Yeah, and I guess so defensive line. Even defensive there, line. yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah. Defensive line, they also haven't. I guess not yet. They haven't needed right, it but yet. Even this, yeah, and they they that look like true. they're probably we'll well. Like, I don't think that... that's going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, but it's I so I should I should retract that. It's not the one position. There's two positions, I guess. But uh, you know, no coincidence that it's Larry Johnson, and Brian Hartline are the two position coaches in this whole program that haven't had to go do that, including Ryan Day. Okay. Also, we're just recording this as Ohio State just beat Iowa, so you can hear my rant about on the end of the Thursday podcast about God, would you shut? Although, honestly, there's a part of me that, like, for real, this was in here, and Chris Holtman lost nine games in a row with this. Yep. So, like, doesn't you're still five fifteen? But as someone also said, they're ten games away from a national championship. People were saying <laughs> that on. Uh, that's all yeah. they got to do. They got to. It's got to beat Michigan State, and then they got to beat. Uh, like Purdue, and then they have to beat Indiana, and then you just win six games in the tournament, and magic happens. So, quite a thing. Okay, we'll be back next Monday. So this is this is how they do this now with spring practice. They they do two, and then it gives everybody it lays a foundation. The coaches can watch film. Guys have expectations. They can study stuff while they're on spring break, but they're off next week. So there's no new practices, but we'll still be writing stuff because we have a bunch of stuff from interviews with all these guys, we'll still be doing five podcasts because we have not yet talked about linebackers. And we did talk to Steel Chambers, CJ Hicks, Reed Carrico, Gabe Powers on Thursday. We did not talk to Tommy Eichenberg because he's hurt. Um, So we have stuff that we need to delve into with those guys as well. So keep it locked on Buckeye Talk. Keep reading cleveland.com slash OSU. Frankly, man, you know, won't be quite as popping on the text next week. Not in terms of like, hey, something just happened. A guy just said this. We just saw this in practice. I think sometimes those Tuesday and Thursday morning texts that we sent this week, there's some of the best around that we get to do all year because we're getting, we're seeing new things and we're conveying it to you immediately. So if you weren't a text subscriber for this week, it doesn't mean it's over. Maybe wait next week. Don't do it next week. And then come in the week after that and start getting some more spring football stuff. Just a little advice for now though. We appreciate you guys making us part of your week for Nathan Baird. And Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>